Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you guys. Um, I almost titled this uh, message when you're attacked because all of Pastor Brent's stories last week I thought were aimed at me. I was a little worried when he was like, you know, that guy that's always looking fights. I was like, why are you bringing me up right now? This is awkward. And then he started sharing the story of someone following him on I-5. And I was like, why would you talk about that, man? Like, that was a personal story between me and you. And so luckily, I don't own a motorcycle, so it wasn't me. But my wife was pretty sure that he was talking about me. But we've buried the hatchet. We're good to go. Um, This morning, I... How many of you guys have been enjoying this series? Like, I've really enjoyed it. It's been really good. Um, As I said earlier, I just like to get a little spicier. Um, I felt like last week was really heavy. And after a heavy meal, you need a little spice, a little zest. Don't let my complexion fool you. I'm bringing the spice today. It's going to be fun. But I thought there's nothing better than um, when you're bringing up spice and talking about evangelism. So today I want to talk about how to share our faith with the world. How many of you guys know that's like a really challenging thing to do? And there's all these theories of how you should do it and all these, these ways that you learn how not to do it. But not a lot of ways that you learn, like, how do we do this? So my question at the beginning that I want to answer is... What is the best way to impact the world for Christ? Now, I talked about extremes. There's some people that, um, you know, I grew up Baptist. So, the, like, my, uh, my growing up, we would walk around and hand out tracts. How many of you guys have ever received those tracts? Like, we wouldn't say anything. We'd just be like, here you go. Read it. It says everything you need to hear. So, there's that. There's uh, some people that think the only way you can evangelize is if you bring in the hottest bands with the best lights and the greatest speaker. And you're like, evangelism is handing out tickets and saying, hey, you should come to this awesome, awesome event with me. Um, there's also, like, when I go to L.A. and I hit the beaches, you know, those guys with the megaphones screaming things that are very true. But for some reason, no one seems to respond to them. For, I don't know. It's really weird. It's like, man, what you're saying is right, but I just, just not getting at me. I don't, I don't understand. And... Uh, There's also even crazier stories. So I read the story of a barber in England who would evangelize people by bringing them into his barber shop. He'd lather them up because this is like old school barber where they'd shave them. And he'd pull out his knife and he'd say, are you ready to meet your God? And they literally have stories in the newspaper of people running out with foam still all over their face, just running for their life. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's the best way. It's, It's hilarious. I like it. I think it's cool, but probably not the best way. There's also, like I alluded to uh, on Christmas Eve, I love the peanuts. There's also the way that Lucy and the peanuts did it, where she talked to Charlie Brown. She said, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be an evangelist. And Charlie Brown's like, oh, that's interesting. Why? And she's like, because today I led someone to the Lord. He's like, awesome. Tell me the story. She's like, well, I just took my Bible and hit him as hard as I could over the head enough times that he finally said, fine, your God is better than mine. She's like, it's pretty effective. It's pretty effective. Um, on another note, there's people that think that the best way to evangelize is to become just like the world. I know that one's a little bit, a little bit hard to hear, but it, we see it all the time. People think the best way for me to tell them about Jesus is being just like them. And that's kind of interesting to me because I'm like, if they're looking for something different than what they already have, why would we act like they already have? It's like when you come to church and they're like, well, what would a, what would, uh, you know, a, a newcomer think? Or maybe they're uncomfortable. I'm like, they should be uncomfortable. Because God's going to convict them of their sin. The Holy Spirit's going to drop. And so there's all these, these different ways that people, that people think you should do it. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Amen? So I don't think we're supposed to act like the world to reach the world for Christ. There's this uh, famous hymn that uh, the Salvation Army used as like their slogan that I love. It says, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. I love that. And when I was reading this article, it was funny. The guy said, I think it should be rewritten for modern Christians and it should go like this. 
backward Christian soldiers fleeing from the fight with the cross of Jesus nearly out of sight. That's a little sobering. That's a little sobering. See, Peter, we're going we're gonna to walk through one of the epistles of Peter, First uh, Peter, and in this, he's writing to Christians who are beaten and broken down. These guys need some encouragement. They're facing some really hard times. The church has been scattered all over the world because of persecution. They're being accused of some crazy things that we think Christians have it bad now, but it was, it was much worse. And so these believers are suffering, and they don't know what to do. And so Peter's thinking, I need to encourage them. I need to, to, to encourage them to keep after the faith, but also to keep sharing their faith even when it's costly and hard. See, the most effective way that you can make a maximum impact is to live your life well. The best way that I can make impact for Jesus is to live my life well, for you to live your life well, for us to live our life well. Amen? Let's read. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wages war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, when, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that even in the midst of our suffering, God, you're the answer. God, even in the midst of of hardship. God, you give us purpose. I pray as we, as we read from this and, and sharing our faith can seem awkward. How do we do it? What does that look like? God, I thank you that you answered all these questions. God, that you and your infinite wisdom gave us the scripture so that we can be guided into how to be holy and godly people. God, I love these people. I pray that as we read from your word, as we, as we dive into your word, that we would be encouraged, that we shine all the brighter for you. In your name I pray. Amen. So we're going to go over four principles that I think will help us make a maximum impact in this life. The first one is this. Realize your identity. See, Peter starts off with three things that he tells the people they are. The first one is this. Beloved. See, Peter uses the term beloved eight times between first and second Peter. He really wants them to know. It's kind of like how Billy Graham used to start all of his uh, crusades. God loves you. I can't do a southern accent, so, but that's, that's the best I can do. But he would walk around just saying, God loves you. See, when Peter begins to write this, he wants to connect with these people before he begins to correct with them. How many of you guys that are parents know that it's super important that you're not just lashing out when your kids need discipline, but you need that connection. You need to get down on their level and say, hey, I'm doing this because I love you and I have a relationship with you. And this may not be fun, but it's worth it. See, Peter's trying to do the same thing as a loving father. He's coming to the church saying, I want to connect with you. And it's important for us to remember every time we hear from the word, every time that God uh, exhorts us or encourages, sometimes it's painful that he's doing it because he loves us. The Bible says that a father who loves his children disciplines his children. And that's not a popular thing nowadays. And that's discipline is not my favorite thing. It's hard, but it's a mark of God's love. How crazy would it be that every time if we went through discipline, we'd be like, wow, God's really shining his love on me today. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Like, here we go. But as silly as that sounds, Peter here is establishing that relationship. To let them know that this isn't just a list of to-dos, but he's saying that we're doing this and we can do this because God has chosen and loved each one of us. See, he first tells them they're beloved. Next, he uses this word that we don't use very often. He says, sojourners, which means travelers. 
travelers, which was interesting when I looked it up. It meant people that live around a house or outside a house, but not in the house. The reason he uses this is because we as Christians aren't supposed to be people that make our home in this world, but we're supposed to be people that travel alongside those that make the world their home, that we're supposed to establish relationships that we're supposed to guide them. But in all of that, we're supposed to remember that we're not of this world. We don't belong to it. Lastly, he uses the word exiles, which can also be translated to pilgrims, which all just means we're visitors. See, a traveler is somebody who's there temporarily, but they're not making their home there. They're not there. They're not moving in. See, you're loved by God on this earth, but you're not a local here. You're a foreigner. See, John, in John 15, he says, again, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. In Philippians, he says that you're citizens of heaven. See, we may identify as I'm a citizen of Springfield, of Oregon, of the USA, or whatever, but honestly, we gave all that up. We're citizens of heaven. One of my favorite joys in my life is giving my in-laws a hard time. I love it. I, like, I relish it. I live for it. And, uh, just letting you guys in on my dirty secret. Uh, every time we go to visit them, they remind us, hey, in our will, we, we gave you guys the house. And I like to tell them, like, hey, I know you're remodeling. This isn't how I like the house. You should do it this way. I'm just looking out for a long-term investment, you know what I mean? Because otherwise, I'm just going to have to redo it. And so I'll literally, teasing, teasing them, teasing, Rachel gets mad. But I'll walk through the house and just be like, hey, this wall is going to move. And this room is going to change to this. And we're going to put wood floor. And who has carpet anymore? And do all these things. And it's funny, but it's a joke because I don't live there. I'm just visiting. How many of you guys know I love, like, one of my guilty pleasures is watching, like, where they do the home makeovers and you talk about, well, if this is my house, this is what I do. And those are all great, but those aren't our houses. We're just visiting. We're just visiting. So it doesn't, our opinion is a, is a moo point. It doesn't matter. It's like a cow's opinion. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're just visiting. See, here's the problem. When we forget who we are, we start living like we're perpetually citizens of earth and not of heaven. So things that shouldn't affect us or shouldn't matter to us as much because we know that our eternal places with God begin to take too much of our attention and our focus. See, knowing our identity will give us proper balance in our life. It will all also give us proper incentive for the next life. How many of you guys, uh, we had President's Day last weekend and Pastor Brent teasingly said, hey, I want each of you, if you want the day off, to write me a paragraph about your favorite president. And I wrote him, I, I thought it was funny, so I wrote him a paragraph talking about Theodore Roosevelt and his nature conservation and how he, you know, allegedly found Bigfoot. I was like, this is really interesting. Like, let's talk about it. He's like, ugh, whatever. But um, another interesting thing about Theodore Roosevelt is he had a friend named Samuel Morris who was a missionary in Africa. And so Theodore Roosevelt went over to Africa for three weeks to visit his friend, the missionary, Samuel Morris. And he, you know, was mostly just checking things out, went hunting for safari, did all these things. And Samuel Morris was coming back at the same time on the same ship as Theodore Roosevelt. And when Theodore came back and stepped off the boat, everyone was applauding and thanking him for all of his work and how he helped those people. And Samuel Morris was sitting there and he was frustrated. He's like, this guy went over for three weeks and he was basically doing a modern day mission trip. He was taking pictures with everyone, like hashtag here to help, you know, all those kind of things, hitting the beach on most of his days, having a really good time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Samuel Morris was sitting there saying, I've been here for years. I've been working hard. Like, why am I not getting this recognition? And he said in that moment that the Lord spoke to him and said, don't worry about it because this is not your home. 
You're not home yet. And so when we begin to look for that recognition in the wrong places, when we begin to look for the recognition here on earth, we're going to be upset because the earth is not our home. We need to remember that, yes, we are loved by God, but we're just passing through on this earth. It's temporary. It's temporary. The second thing that Peter tells us is we need to resist our impulses. See, he talks to us firstly about who we are and our identity because it's important that, like I said, we don't have this checklist of things that we do to get right with God, but it's saying now that you're right with God, here's how you should act. Knowing who we are will help us to know what we need to do when impulses come. How many of you guys know that it's not a matter of if hard things happen, it's not a matter of if evil desires come in your heart, it's a matter of when. It happens every single day. Internal battles happen every single day. If you're going to live a godly life on the outside, you've got to begin by living it on the inside. Once your soul is saved, it's got to be incarcer- it's going to be incarcerated by your flesh. Because see, even though our soul knows Jesus and we're excited to be with Jesus, we still have these fleshly desires. See, and what's interesting is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that everything that overcomes us is common to everybody else. It's saying you may think you're special and your weaknesses are somehow unique, but it's the same thing that gets everyone else. And some of us may think, well, we learn to be evil as we progress through life. But um, I found this quote from the Minnesota Crime Commission, which I thought was, was really interesting. It says, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him these wants, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murder were it not his helpless. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulses, actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up into a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. Like that's, that's a secular a secular committee that, that discovered this and wrote this article. And uh, can I tell you, my, my daughter is cute. She is unbelievably cute, but I've seen this. I've seen this. I'm not kidding. I'm like, wow, like you don't get what you want when you want it. And the world is going to know. And there's no empathy. She's not like, would it be convenient for you guys if I woke you up at 2 a.m. screaming in the middle of the night? No. Okay, I'll hold off then. I'll hold off. No, it's I want this and I want it now. I went to lunch with uh, Richard and Lizzie this last Sunday and Thea's having a good time. I'm holding her. I hand her over to Richard and she freaks out and she screams and Richard's like, what did I do wrong? And I'm like, nothing. The baby just wants what she wants and everybody's going to know. We don't learn to become evil in this world. We're born selfish in nature. The real miracle is that God changes our heart and we have the capacity for good. See, the Bible tells us that we're all in a spiritual war. Galatians 5.17 says that we're filled with lust, which is warfare. D.L. Moody is quoted saying this, I've had more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any other man who has ever crossed my path. How many of you guys know that's true? The person I have the most trouble with isn't anybody else. It's me. It's me. See, war means to carry out a long-term military campaign. When the Romans would go to war with people, they wouldn't go for a a quick skirmish and come back. They would set up camp around the cities and they would stay until it was over. We're not in a battle. It's not this short-term thing. It says that our life is spiritual warfare, which means we're going to live it every single day. 
Galatians 5, 19, uh, 19 through 21 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousness. I know what you're thinking. We get it. You can stop now. But he keeps going. But he keeps going. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. He's going to keep going. He's going to keep going. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like which is the fancy way of saying I could go on all day about the evil that you desire. The Bible makes it pretty clear that we're not always great people, that we're always going to deal with selfish desires. There's no getting to the finish line and, well, I'm perfect. I'm good. Thanks, Jesus. I got this from here on out. This is going to be a forever struggle. See, but the solution we find also in the book of Galatians chapter 5 is it says, uh, walk in the Spirit, And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're born evil. We have an evil nature. But when the Holy Spirit empowers our life, it gives us the ability to usurp that nature. It gives us the ability, despite those those feelings and those impulses, to say, no, I'm made new. God gave me a new heart. See, if we live a spirit-filled life, we will have the, the power to abstain. From the fleshly desires. To abstain is simply to hold away from. To put it aside. Uh, John Bunyan in his book The Holy War. Writes about when the enemy comes. You close the gate. You close the gate. I find it so interesting that for some reason people find this hard to understand. Myself included. I'm dumb. Um, When we struggle with something. We don't put up the proper boundaries. We don't put up the proper boundaries. If you know your weakness and you know where you're going to fail and you're not trying to stay as far as you can away from that, thinking somehow you're, you're stronger than that, you're being a fool. Wisdom is saying, no, I'm not even going to give myself an opportunity. An opportunity. Because can I tell you, most people don't just gradually decide one day, I, I think I'm going to be evil and just jump off, you know, jump off the evil cliff. It's a slow progression of smaller things that grow larger and larger like a snowball over time. I shared the story a few months ago about Gray chasing a coyote until she realized it wasn't a dog. And in the last few weeks, I read um, another article. I'm in school. I like to read. I think it's fascinating. Where um, I didn't know this, but coyotes will actually use that to hunt dogs. They'll send one coyote. The dog will get excited and go chasing after this coyote. And the coyote will lead them to their den where then they're attacked by multiple. So what happened is... When Grace chasing this coyote, she's thinking, wow, this is really fun. This is really cool. Not knowing that she's actually chasing to her death. Chasing to her death. It's also interesting to me watching um, just warfare in general and the clothes and the, and, the, and the equipment that people have to wear. I remember when our troops first went over to Iraq and Afghanistan and I was watching them. And they were telling, saying it's like 120 degree weather in the desert. And they're rocking like five layers. I'm like, this is crazy. Those guys must be sweating. Why would they do that? I'd be like in, you know, short shorts and a tank top. Like, let's go. We got this. The reason they do that is because they know that war could hit them at any time. They're always prepared. And in our same life, we need to be the same way. We know that impulses can hit us at any time from any place. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready because we're in a spiritual war. That's why just like the soldiers wear their armor every day going out, Like Ephesians 6 says, we need to rock the whole armor of God every single day. Every single day. 
You know why I get so annoyed when people are like, Satan's attacking me, Satan's attacking me? Because nine times out of ten, I'm like, nah, dude, he doesn't have to because you're defeating yourself. He's not going to waste his energy on you if you're just going to mess it up yourself. Like, that sounds, that sounds really harsh, and I mean it to be. Like, I mean it to be. Like, why, why, we don't, most of us probably don't even face a lot of spiritual warfare because we're not even in the spot where we can enter the battle. We're too busy with our own self that how are we even going to take a step for the kingdom? Paul goes on from there to saying, reveal your integrity. He talked about our faith on the inside. Now he's saying, let's show it on the outside. See, what is private and inward must become public. In verse 12, in the NIV version, it says it like this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. See, unbelievers study our lives. How many of you guys, when uh, you first became a Christian and started acting different, people noticed? People noticed. And sometimes that's good and they're like excited for you. And sometimes people are less than stoked for you. They're like, what do you mean you don't do that anymore? We used to do that all the time. Like, what do you mean? And, they become, and people become very critical of your life. They did it to Jesus first. I just want to say that. In Matthew eleven nineteen, and Luke seven thirty four, and John eight forty one, Jesus couldn't do anything without people accusing him of something. He'd go to parties. Oh, Jesus must be a drunkard. He'd abstain from parties. Oh, wow, you're really religious. Anything Jesus did, they would look for reasons to accuse him. They also did it to Paul in Acts 24. It talks about them saying that Paul is this leader of riots, which is funny because the people were trying to capture him. And they're like, well, it's his fault. People are always looking to blame Christians. And here's why, because we're supposed to be that example. See, the early Christians in Rome were accused of horrible things like cannibalism and incest and atheism. See, cannibalism, because they would take communion, they're like, this is the flesh and blood of Jesus, and they're like, oh, you're cannibals. Or they'd walk around and say, hey, you know, brother, hey, sister, and be like, oh, wow, you guys practice incest. Or they would go around and say, hey, you don't worship all these Roman pantheons, you must be atheists. And it sounds crazy, but we see it even today. We see it even today. See, Peter says, live such a good life that when they accuse you of these things, people are like, that's not true. Like, I've seen their life, and it doesn't stick. See, he tells them to do it for their God. And he, I'm not going to go too far into this because we do not have enough time, but he gets into some really spicy stuff. He continues in verse 13 and talks about a believer will be known by how they interact with the government. Now, I don't want to dive too big into this because you can ask my wife. When we started doing taxes this season, I was like, where is the nearest bay? I'm throwing our tea in. Like, we're done with this. This is crazy. But it says the way that we interact with our authority matters. He then goes to talk about us and our employers. Now, luckily, I work for Pastor Brent. He's perfect, so I don't have any issues anymore. But before I worked for him, if I'd have issues with my employer, God says, how are you going to reveal your faith through this situation? He then goes on to talk about wives and husbands and the submission and love of Christ. It's crazy. And that's where I know people get spicy because um, sometimes I'll say things like, no, I, I talked with my wife and, and I've decided we're going to do that. And they're like, who are you to say what your wife can and can't do? And it just gets, it's really funny. But the way that we interact as spouses shows people our faith. See, we as Christians are on stage under the bright lights at all times. And unbelievers are watching our lives. 
Over the last few weeks, um, I began to work out with uh, Tony McAllister. He's uh, our youth pastor's husband. He's like the first man of the youth ministry. I love, I love telling him that. It's super funny. But um, Tony and me have been working out, and one of the things I love about it is everybody that uh, knows Tony when we go to the gym. As soon as he walks through, and everybody's, you know, give him high fives or pounding his fists. They're like, oh, you're with Tony. That's awesome. Da, da, da. And they all know Tony, and they all love Tony. Christians, non-Christian alike, they just love being around Tony. And I, I just thought it was super cool because uh, me and Tony are just walking on the treadmill like this was like two days ago. And somebody comes up, and they just walk up, and they're like, Tony, I'm not a Christian, but would you pray for my aunt? She's having this medical issue. Tony has a witness, and they're watching him. And something that I loved is me and Tony were talking, and uh, sometimes people wear stuff to the gym that you're like, this, this is a gym. It's not some place to show yourself, but whatever. And we're, we have to work out literally like this. I'm like walking on the treadmill. Like I'm either talking to Tony or I'm looking at the ground. And the reason why it's important is because people are watching. One slip up, one, one lingering look, one, one you know, mouthy word, and the witness is ruined. The witness is ruined. People are watching. Ruth... Graham is famous for saying, a saint is, uh, is one who makes it easy to believe in Jesus. I love that. Irma, uh, uh, Irma Bachman, or Bombeck, I, I can't read those names, that's crazy, but uh, is famous for saying, never go to a doctor whose office plants have died. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's genius. If they can't take care of those things, why would you let them take care of your life? So we as Christians... If we want to witness to the world, we've got to show our faith first. If we want to be able to speak into their life, we've got to have a life worth speaking into. See, the ultimate goal with this last point, remember your intention. The ultimate goal is that we will do this for unbelievers. The Bible goes on to talk about the day of visitation. And a lot of us don't know what that means, but in the Old Testament phrase, it describes when God would visit the earth with either his blessing or his judgment. See, in the story of Ruth, there's Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they leave the country after their husbands die. And they decide to come back to Israel because it says God showed up with his blessing of bread. So it's saying that the, the day of visitation happened and God showed up in blessing. But then in Zechariah 10.13, it says uh, God showed up with his wrath. So God can show up either way on this day of visitation with either blessing or wrath. And when Peter is speaking of this day of visitation, he's talking about the final judgment. And he's saying this is going to be good news for some of us and not so great news for others. A person who's obeying Christ and being watched is helping glorify God so that people may know him on the day of visitation. So your lifestyle is going to do one of two things. Either it's going to cause them to believe in God and repent so they can look upon him. Or it says that when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So they're going to do it willingly or they're going to do it by force. But everyone's going to bend the knee. But can I tell you, the first is much better. The first is much better. In closing, I just want to say this to all the Christians. Our life and our faith is built on our character. And character is created by every single decision and choice that we make every single day. Every decision we make, large or small, every day, day to day, is like a sculptor who takes their chisel and begins to carve something. At the end of our life, we're going to shape something with it. 
what is it going to be? It shapes who we are. It shapes how people look at us. And because of, the, of how they look at us, it's also going to shape how they view God because we confess him. Some of our lives are the only Bible that non-believers are ever going to see. That's why this is so important. Because sometimes the only interaction with Jesus that people are ever going to have is through the life that you live. Maybe there's some of you here that are unbelievers. And can I tell you, uh, no Christian over the last 2,000 years has ever been perfect. I see a lot of memes that talk about, you know, I don't go to church because of, of hypocrites or I don't want to do this because there's hypocrites. Can I tell you, there, there's, that's not a good excuse because on your last day when you're before the judgment seat, it's not going to be a bunch of us hypocrites there judging you. It's going to be the perfect king, Jesus. And the other great thing is it's not going to be you judging us. It's going to be the perfect king, Jesus. And that should give you hope because here's the, here's the good news. We're all hypocrites and there's room for one more hypocrite. So come join us. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. In fact, Paul in first Timothy says, I'm the worst of the worst, which I'm like, that's a weird brag, dude. Like that's cool. Weird flex. But what he's saying is we've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. We all have evil thoughts. We all have evil desires. But our choices in those decisions and those impulses, are we choosing those evils or are we going to be empowered by the Spirit to live a life of glory for God? God, right now, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this awesome church. God, I thank you for this word. I pray that as we leave here today, God, that we just be more self-aware. We'd have more intention on the life that we live. Every interaction, every choice that we have, big or small, we use as an opportunity to glorify you. God, I pray that we'd become more aware of the unbelievers in our life watching us. God, that we'd set even better examples, that we would be your ambassadors to this world, that we would realize everything we do represents you. God, I pray for those that unbelieve in this room. I'd capture their hearts. Reveal yourself to them. God, don't let them hold on to offenses or, or situations that people have fallen short and let them use as an excuse. Bring them to yourself. God, let us all look to your, the ultimate example of Jesus. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Wow, thank you, Pastor Ty. This morning we are going to do our connection cards together as we uh, respond to what Pastor Ty has, has brought in the Word. And so here's, here's my challenge for you. First of all, if you get out your connection cards and you go, um, you, can, you can go to the QR code that we've got on the screen here. Um, so you can follow this QR code right here um, or go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. We love the digital connection card, but if, um, if not, you can um, use the, the one in the seat back there. But in, the, in that tell us your story section, um, let us know what we can be praying with you about. Let us know what's going on in your life that we could lift in prayer. We, we pray over these Every week we have a prayer team that, that lifts these up. We have the elders of the church that at 6 a.m. every, every uh, Wednesday morning pray together over these, these requests that come through. And we love celebrating praise reports. Man, did we get to hear a good praise report today in our morning huddle. We have our team that makes Sundays happen. Um, at 9 a.m. we pray together on Sunday. And uh, we got to hear a testimony that just it shook the room. 
It was awesome, and we love hearing this testimony. So let us know what God is doing in your in your life and your heart. Um, write that down. Um, let us know you're here. Um, again, if this is your first time, let us know. But also respond to the message today. If you feel God has been working in your heart about your witness, write down how God has been telling you your life. Has it been something that translates into our world? Where am I living a life that needs to be living transformatively? Am I being uh, conformed into the pattern of the world, or am I have I been transformed by the renewing of my mind? So write down. Um, what, in what way have you seen that you need to be um, reflecting Jesus more in this world, telling the story of who God is uh, to those around you, all right? So let's fill out those connection cards, and as we do, ushers, if you'll prepare yourselves, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. Um, we're getting ready for our Vision Sunday, and I'm excited to give the report of what God has been doing in your faithfulness and giving, so thank you for that. We are moving forward with exciting things. Um, that I can't wait to let you know about. So let's give um, with vision and, and purpose today, knowing that we give uh, to the King of Kings what was already his, but that he could multiply it, use it, see the kingdom go forward, all right? So Father, we thank you so much for uh, the church that you have established and that we are part of that church. We are part of the story that's been written for the last 2,000 years. What an amazing thing that we are part of the transformative kingdom that Jesus brought to this earth. And Lord, I pray that right now we would give in sacrifice, but we would give with, also with obedience, believing that you are going to take this and that lives will be changed, the kingdom will move forward because of what we do today. We stand on the shoulders of giants, but Lord, we thank you that we are ourselves investors in eternity. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's give today. Everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Everything that, everything that, everything. Can we stand together? Let's stand up and sing that again. That everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Everything that, everything that. Everything I will worship you, Lord. Let's sing it out. I will worship. I will worship. I will worship. I will worship you with every breath. I will worship. I will worship. I will worship you with every breath. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful, blessed week. Go and God today.